GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. This is Gibraltar Today, calling for the vote of the citizens of the Campo de Gibraltar, the Spanish Minister for Foreign Affairs, outgoing. He is the current Spanish Minister for Foreign Affairs. Will he still be after Sunday's vote? José Manuel Álvarez has been in San Roque and he said that the socialists have an important task to finish off uh, after, and they hope, after the Spanish elections. They're hoping that they'll get voted in. Will they? We don't know. Um, but um, Kevin Rees has been looking at the story. Good afternoon, Kev. Afternoon, Jonathan. Well, who doesn't enjoy a, a heated election campaign? We've got our own, of course, coming up before the end of the year. Importantly, as a running in, um, we've got the Spanish elections happening this Sunday. Not just important for Spain, here in Gibraltar, of course, all eyes on that Spanish election. So much depends on that Spanish election, the result for Gibraltar. And not only for Gibraltar, all eyes are on the Spanish election. Europe is looking at Spain because, of course, the Spanish elections could be an indicator of where the European Parliament could be heading next. It's thought that um, the European Union will be moving further right after the elections, the European Parliament elections next year. And Spain's election, of course, could um, help determine that shift. Um, early indicators. Interesting. Yep. All the different polls are putting um, the Partido Popular um, at uh, at the head. I think the last one, the last poll this morning, six points ahead of the PSOE. Um, six points? Six points or so. So they're going to have still a, in play. Well, that's the thing. It's going to be a very... Um, it's, it's, it's an election where anything could happen, really. Um, it's predicted that Bebe could win the election without a majority. Of course, Spain's parliament's made of made up of 350 seats. That's 350 seats. 176 are needed to constitute a majority. It would. It's thought that the Bebe would not win with a majority, so they would need to pact. The dread from some sectors in Spain is that the PP would vote with the pact with the far right Vox, something that the PP has been moving away from in their last uh, television interviews. Uh, they've been wanting to disassociate themselves from Vox in that way, although they would require um, their support in order to 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 gain to be represented in government to 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 gain that majority. Um, we've seen a number of interviews where they're trying to distance themselves, but they would still require um, that support from Vox. Another possible um, formula there could be that the Bebe could pact with the micro or the minority, the, the smaller parties across Spain, like the Basque uh, nationalists and the Canarian nationalist parties, which enjoy a lot of support in their own regions. So there's a lot happening. Um, and of course, this media, this this campaign has also, importantly, um, we've seen the media play a very active role in the campaign itself, not just as media themselves. What do you a mean? Lot, a lot of opinion has been voiced in Spanish media. Of course, commercial broadcasters and do not have to adhere to uh, being neutral. Um, Spain, of course, now has um, uh, commercial stations, something that happened in the 90s. And this is perhaps the first uh, election campaign where we've seen um, popular presenters popular, well-known journalists um, almost 
clearly not dic- pretending yeah, to be as not, neutral, exactly, maybe, no? a exactly. bit more American. Exactly, yep, yeah, very much like the Americans, and they've been very explicit in their remarks as well. Uh, notably, Ana Rosa Quintana, of course, she's very well known to big, local big audiences. Big name. She's been the queen of daytime for 19 years. She just closed her morning program after 19 years yesterday, and at a press conference following the. The, the end of the program, um, she made a number of remarks. She was asked whether um, she'd already booked an interview with the potential uh, winners of that election campaign. And she said she'd only um, asked, requested an interview with Feijó because he was the clear winner. And um, she had it very clear, lo tenía muy claro, that he would be el ganador because España siempre vota bien. She's also been very critical of Pedro Sánchez in many interviews. She's been criticised by many of her colleagues as well um, for the easy interview she gave Feijó when he recently visited a programme. And um, she famously told Sánchez during the, during the interview, um, ¿Quieres el, el pueblo quiere, España quiere que usted se vaya? She's also been very critical. Uh, uh, the people want you to, to go. To, to actually, to, to leave, yeah. Um, she's been very critical of the postal vote. Of course, uh, Sánchez called the election... At the end of July, a period when Spain is is on holiday, Spain, of course, being a very traditional country where people go on holiday for an entire month, July or August, they take it in turns. So is the theory that he called it knowing that those who are better off are more likely to be away from their homes and those who are more who are better off are more likely to vote Conservative? One of the theories, yeah. There's, there's many theories at, at play there. Ana Rosa Quintana, her part, she's been very critical of the postal vote, thinking people would not take to the postal vote. She's also um, questioned whether those postal votes would arrive um, opening up a, a, another debate in Spain itself. But today, Correos has publicly announced just a few hours ago that 93% of the 2.6 million submissions for the postal vote had already been voted this morning, had already been processed this morning. Quite a lot of them. Quite then. a lot of them. That's yeah. 93%. Oh, wow. 93% so far. Have um, already been processed. Have already been processed. Interesante, but we don't. We won't know exactly what that tells us until Sunday. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But it does. She, well, this presenter did throw into question the postal vote. She inferred a number of things, which have uh, opened up a debate in Spain. Um, at least that that allays fears. You know, they have been processed. I, I can I can sense some of our listeners telling me to to put to you. Tu sabes mucho de eso, ¿no? <laughs> I don't know. I suppose uh, being Gibraltarian, of course, we take a, a massive interest in Spanish politics. Um, growing up, I've always been very strong to Spanish politics. It does impact on Gibraltar life. It I'm does. one of those who was brought up in the uh, days shortly after the frontier reopened. And uh, there was uh, that distrust and uh, that need to keep an eye. Or like el descansado de mi abuelo told me growing up. Always learn the lingo, learn your Spanish well so you can understand, porque nunca se puede confiar lo que los políticos españoles harán. So you need to understand. I, I grew up with that and that generation. Um, so yeah, we I follow things a lot, a lot of us suppose. have had similar sort of um, phrases from, from yeah, grandparents. We're not growing up, of course, I suppose. And every Gibraltarian is invested as well. As you were saying earlier, um, it's important for Gibraltar. We have those treaty talks still ongoing. Um, last night at a hosting in San Roque, Alvarez, who's currently the uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, he called on the vote of the Campo Gibraltareños and he couldn't stress enough 
how important it is for the soy to get into power for the benefits of the Campo de Gibraltar. He, he, he did say, Tenemos una tarea que concluir, la zona de prosperidad compartida. We've heard so much about that zone of shared prosperity that is at the very heart of the ongoing treaty negotiations. And he calls on Campo Gibraltareños to vote soy in order to have that continuity. And he also um, highlighted and stressed the importance that the, the soy getting in, they would conclude those, those treaty negotiations and also um, work towards... Uh, promoting good neighbourly relations and also the importance of maintaining uh, fluidity at that frontier, that, um, that, that border, important not just for Gibraltarians, but also for the Campo Gibraltarians well, themselves. 15,000 who cross every... That's the last statistic, the last statistic we have, yeah, 14,000. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a, a lot of pay packets and yeah. a lot of people. The, the, the question, I suppose, is does that translate beyond the Campo to mm. other Spanish a, voters, yeah. well, uh, probably less, yeah, because th th they've got their own domestic yeah. issues that they're going to be exactly. voting on. But but certainly, I think nobody can deny that there's mm. a lot in play for the Campo de Gibraltareños and for uh, us as a result of what the incoming government's views are uh, at the frontier mm. and the um, willingness to engage with Gibraltar, the UK and the EU to conclude a treaty yeah. arrangement and un and end the uncertainty that mm. we've had since the Brexit vote yeah. or not and really like to think about a Pepe and a and, and a Vox coalition coming in it, it just uh, I, I really it makes me nervous mm. I mean he did um, um, Alvarez last night at that hustling he did uh, warn of the destructive forces that are working to create division and also build barriers. Of course, he was referring to uh, the Pepe and Vox possibility of a coalition there. Bueno. So in Let's interesting. See Let's see what Sunday, Sunday holds. I mean, Spain's on holiday. At least we know those postal votes have gone through. We got that heat wave as well. So who knows? There might be no shows at the polling booths on uh, Sunday. But we don't know what, what that means. Uh, and how yeah. it could impact on the overall result. Interesting, no doubt. What, you're on duty. You're a duty editor yeah, this weekend, Kevin. I am, yeah. For your sins. Yeah, so I'll um, be following that very closely. I would anyway. <laughs> so, so, so on Sunday, Spain votes. Mm -hmm. they've, they've got all day until, what, 10 o'clock or 11 to, 10 to vote? 10, I think 10, it's 10, 10 o'clock. Hmm? Yeah, you caught, caught me off guard, but I think it's 10 o'clock. Uh, and then, really, it, it's, a, it's an electronic voting yeah. system We'll have results. By midnight, we'll have a clear indicator of who will uh, govern Spain or who will be the one to, 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 to start talking and uh, work towards pacting because we probably will not have a majority. I've just had a nervous shudder <laughs> thinking about midnight on Sunday. Let's see, let's see. Deep breaths. <laughs> we keep calm and we carry on. Thank yeah. you, Kev Ruiz. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Speaking to the special needs action group who have um, given uh, a mixed verdict. I think it's first. Uh, it's fair to say they've they've tried to highlight one or two positives, but are also concerned uh, about areas that need more attention. That they say are crucial issues that affect uh, the community and have not been addressed by uh, the budget speeches in the past. Uh, 10 days or so. Uh, good afternoon to Snag's spokesperson, Atrish Sanchez. How are you? And, and it, it, did, I, did I sum it up fairly? Some positives, but, but some areas of concern? 
Good afternoon, Jonathan. Thank you for having uh, me here today. And yes, I think that's a, a, fair, a fair analysis. Um, there are positive um, things in, in the budget in relation to special needs and disability, um, but there are evidently areas of concern um, that are affecting um, this part of the community and we feel that they either haven't been mentioned or they haven't been addressed or they haven't been given the significance that we feel that they should have been given. Do, do you want to give us uh, one or two examples? Um, in, I think we'll start with the positives. Um, obviously, we welcome the incre increase in the disability allowance. Um, and this will obviously um, help a lot of people that um, are in need of the support. That's gone uh, up by the rate of inflation, no? Yeah. And obviously, we, we stress that that along with, the, with this, um, there is a need for faster processing uh, times of applications because we obviously get concerns, a lot of concerns still from uh, people that do complain of, of uh, a backlog in the processing of applications. This is an application to... For the disability the disability allowance. Okay. Um, so obviously for this to, to be truly effective, you need to have uh, a faster uh, processing of applications so that people can access that benefit. Um, but all in all, it's obviously a, a welcome... Um, uh, the cost uh, of living is going up and, and, and uh, the, the allowance has gone up so yeah. that you, you, anybody receiving it doesn't feel any worse off. Yeah. Um, and is it enough, generally? Is it a... Do you know what, what, the, what the sum is? Um, yeah, right now it's in the region of 390-something, I believe it is. And, um, it per, is. Per month? Per month. It's a bit more for adults. Um, and obviously it is... It is um, it helps you for with the with the costs that you need. Um, obviously, if you if you consider that um, there's shortages in therapists and people have to then go and pay privately for therapy because they're not receiving it, then obviously that doesn't cover um, all of that. Uh, you consider the delays in in assessments and diagnosis, and people have to go and pay for those privately. Then obviously that doesn't cover that. So there's a lot of things that the state should be covering and. At, Presently, there is not sufficient resources for that, and the disability allowance is not there for that. So, okay. those things shouldn't be covering that. So, you know, there has to be the disability allowance is there for one thing and not for other things. So, you know, you need to know what the disability allowance is there for. Uh, Atrish, we were talking about the disability allowance. Yeah, I want to um, just go through some figures that I gave before um, to give you the accurate ones because they were off the top of my head. Um, the child um, disability allowance is 316 a month and the adult one is £442. Those okay. are the exact figures. And you were saying that um, you, you have to take into consideration that uh, as a result of uh, potentially having somebody in your family with special needs, there might be costs um, to, to sort of... That, that you feel are, are essential, uh, such as therapy that you ideally would like um, the authority, the health authority, to, to put on, but, but, but m maybe they're not accessible. Not all of the therapies that you want are accessible. Well, of course, if, if there's a shortage in, of, of speech therapists, for example, and that's been confirmed by, by the GHA and by the government, and, and children don't have access to speech therapy, then, then parents are going to try and secure, secure that speech therapy somewhere else and they're going to have to pay for it privately. So some p parents that 
uh, uh, don't have that um, financial stability or they don't have those resources might use the disability allowance to pay for that. That's not the point of the disability allowance, but the disability allowance might entirely go um, on that. Um, so, you know, it, many people will find it a welcome um, increase that the that it's gone up. So, okay. it, so it's gone up seven percent. Yeah. No? Okay. So um, what else do you want to highlight? So that that's a, a positive uh, uh, overall. But but there are some areas that you felt were were lacking in the budget. Uh, well, we welcome the expansion of the learning support facilities. Um, that's obviously the way forward. Um, you know, there's been like there's been a. a an admission by the government that you know the the numbers keep on increasing and it, evidently the, the 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 provision to cater for the numbers needs to increase um and they have said that they're going to expand the, the lsf provision across uh, lower primary and uh, secondary education um but we we would have welcomed a bit more clarity as to how they have budgeted um for the increase incre- increase in the provision um especially um so so you think we don't know how um the expansion of learning support facilities are going to be funded, or you don't know what funding there is. Well, for I'm, it. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a, um, an economist, so you know. But from looking at the 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 budget book, I, you know, it seems to me that the SNLSA um, posts remain the same as they did last year. Um, I understand that obviously maybe they they will resource from supply lists, or there might be an explanation for this. But then that would also explain. Um, if it's last-minute reassignments or if it's supply um, posts, then it would explain perhaps why, um, and it is indeed one of the reasons that has been quoted, um, why the children of Early Birds and St. Martin School do not know who their teachers will be um, in September, which is a similar situation to the one last year. Um, this is not a proactive or forward uh, planning approach. Um, if anything, the children of St. Martin School, early birds, and indeed those of LSFs are the children that would need to have this information um, beforehand because they need the use of visual aids and, and all of these tools to prepare them for this transition. Um, indeed, when we compare to children of Bishop Fitzgerald School and other schools, for example, they left knowing who they would have as their teachers in September. The children of St. Martin School have left and they do not know yet who and, their and, teachers will and be. And what we've heard you say before is that unpredictability is even harder. It's very hard. You can't prepare. For children with they special need routine, needs, no? they need forward planning, they need the use of visual aids, they need time to prepare themselves. If you don't have forward planning and if you are relying on the use of um, supply lists, if you are relying on the use of last-minute reassignments because you are not preparing if you are if you are relying on a reactive approach to these things or demand-led approach, which is what the budget really reflects from what I see. Because when you have a budget book that uh, budgets £1,000 for uh, special needs, uh, the maintenance of special needs equipment in school, that's a very unrealistic budget. Every year you really go over that budget and it's it's a very unrealistic budget to, to make. That suggests to me that this is a demand-led budget. The same thing for SNLSA cover, specialist cover. Those budgets are estimated at £1,000. Those are very unrealistic budgets which every year you know go up over budget exceedingly was not surprising it's very and it's a very expensive area the special needs is, a, is obviously a very expensive area more expensive than normal mainstream education what, what does a group think about this study to uh, look at the uh, what seems to be an increasing number of children with special educational needs and disabilities well obviously this is 
this is proactive. This is this is a proactive approach. Um, as in the same way that Minister Sacramento's announcement of, of developing, you know, finally developing a, a proper working group to collect uh, statistics and form a disability register. This, this is a proactive approach. This is a proactive approach that's been needed and has been needed for some years now because, look, the, the, the increase in numbers are, are, is not something that's happened overnight. It's been happening for some years now. Um, but if this proactive approach would have been taken years ago, then perhaps we wouldn't find ourselves in a situation where we already were already having to expand the footprint of a brand new school. Um, oh. yep. because let, let me ask you about two last points, if I may, uh, Atrish. Um, the UN Convention on Human Rights, that, that there are aspects of it that aren't implemented in local law that you've been pushing for for a while that hasn't moved that hasn't changed no it's basically the budget announced you know uh, minister segmento that we're almost there we have to wait a little bit longer and it's it's basically a repeat of of, of last year's budget and uh, not there hasn't been much progress in in our view on that there has been there's been no mention of autism pathways adhd pathways and it's it's quite surprising especially considering there was a demonstration organized uh, by concerned individuals and families not very long ago and it was very well attended and these were the points that were raised along with the need to publish a uh, disability strategy and special needs strategy and it's a second demonstration that's been organized to bring these issues So up. there's a lot of strength of feeling among yeah. parents. Um, one last question, if I may, um, St. Bernadette's Centre? That has been given no mention whatsoever in the budget. It's a, it, the, a new, bigger, more modern St. Bernadette's Centre, uh, Dr. Hiraldi Selta, um, bigger, purpose-built respite facilities to cater for over 16s, is something that is needed, something that we would have thought would have been in this year's budget, especially since the government is recognising the increasing trends and increasing trends in younger children. It means in increasing trends in adults. Um, so this is something that we would have thought would have been in this year's budget. And since it is not in this budget, we hope, being an election year, that it will be in every, every part, uh, party, political party's manifesto. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.